Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Hi, I'm Scott Hahn, and I'd like to invite you personally to join me and Breadbox Media on August 24th in New Oxford, Pennsylvania. For a day of spiritual renewal, I'll be presenting three talks, one on St. Joseph, one on the Sacrament of Matrimony, and another one on the Holy Eucharist. Learn more and register at breadboxmedia.com forward slash PA conference. I hope to see you there. Celebrate our God-given freedom and faith while honoring our Blessed Mother with Girelli's USA Rosary. Each state is represented on this rosary's 50 beads. Red, white, and blue enamel adorn its patriotic crucifix. Get yours today. Shop www.ghirelli.com. O Lord, my God, Thou searchest me. My heart and mind are known to Thee. Nothing is hidden from Thy eyes. When I sit down and when I rise. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with Thee. Blessed art Thou, and blessed the fruit of Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us in this now Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit, and it shall be created. Let us pray. O God, who instruct the hearts of your faithful by light of the Holy Spirit. Grant that the same spirit may be truly wise, never joyous in the consolation to the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Lady Guadalupe. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. Saint Terry. Pray for us. Saint Ignatius. Pray for us. Saint Thomas. Pray for us. Good evening. Just a recap and encouragement on the last uh, meditations. It's a, life to, a lifelong pursuit to try to live out the grace that we were begging for last week, which is to really get to know Christ, love Christ and to follow Christ. And that's what you're begging for during the meditation on the, on the baptism of our Lord, the wedding feast of Cana, proclamation of the kingdom, transfiguration, and most especially the Eucharist. So as a bridge between the Eucharist and this next week, um, we'll encourage all of us to go deeper in our our faith, our devotion, our love to the Eucharist. Because when all is said and done, that's, that's the key to salvation, is love for Christ and the Eucharist. And as it is, sometimes our faith can start to uh, wane and decline if we don't keep striving to fall in love with this great Eucharist, this great mystery. So I cannot insist too much upon uh, the sublime, ineffable mystery and gift that the Eucharist is. One, uh, one Mass and one Communion, all of eternity would not be sufficient to prepare ourselves for that, and all of eternity would not be sufficient to give proper thanksgiving. And I'm not using hyperbole either. 
Okay. Okay, I'm not using hyperbole, but I'm really telling the truth. Uh, all of us can grow in our love for the Eucharist, right? Uh, all of us, uh, maybe we're, we're really beginners in trying to plumb the depths of such a sublime mystery. No? I think in the Day of Judgment, Jesus will say that his biggest regret for all Catholics is how, how, um, how poorly we appreciated the gift of the Eucharist. And I'm saying that from 2,000 years ago until the end of time. How poorly we've really appreciated the gift of the Eucharist. Prove me wrong, I'd be happy. No, but I <laughs> think I'm going to be proved right. So fall in love with the Eucharist. And if you're not already, and you're not have not already made that step, if you can, go to daily mass. If you can. can go to daily mass. Here in LA, it's a piece of cake. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. I know uh, a woman getting close to 90 years old who traveled uh, about uh, 35, 40, 40 miles, 10 degrees below zero, to go to daily mass and driving home. So there and back, that's close to 75 miles. A woman that's getting close to 90 and 10 degrees below zero. The name of that woman is Mrs. Joan Broom. <laughs> My mother. It's kind of admirable, isn't it? No? You're traveling that far and it's it's not 10 degrees below zero outside there today I don't think no it never will be in southern california no it's new hampshire no why because uh, because she believes because there's belief there's faith uh, do some reading on the topic in my course on theology two weeks ago, I gave you various biblical verses uh, on that topic from the Old Testament and the New Testament. But we should um, go deeper in this mystery. No? Go deeper. And pray that you you will have priests that, who knows, maybe in 25 years you might not have priests. It's hard to say, hard to say. Hopefully we will. Yeah, because there's, church is going through a real crisis, isn't it? No? We, we could be a rare commodity. <laughs> so let's move from the institution of the Eucharist to this week. This week you're going to be meditating upon the passion of Christ. 
So this week is going to be Good Friday. And have the whole week to meditate upon that. The grace you're going to be begging for is the grace to be willing to suffer with Christ. Last week you're begging the grace to get to know Christ, to love him, right? Follow him. But now you want to be willing to suffer with Christ. Not to be a fair-weather friend. That is, no? A fair-weather friend is you're just there at the party in La Fiesta, but not at the funeral. We want to walk with Christ, accompany Christ, even in his passion. And if this is done well, this is where we really go deep into the exercises. This is the week. As we, we see how much Christ suffered. And he died for all, but he died for each and every one of us individually. So during this meditation, you have to call to mind this, this fact, that if you are the only person in the world, you're the only person in the world, Christ would have gone through all the minute and excruciating details of the Passion just for you if you are the only person in the universe. And Jesus will go through that for you a thousand times. Now, if that doesn't move you, nothing will. As we say in New York, you're a basket case. <laughs> I mean, really. If that doesn't move you, nothing will. Maybe you stop to think all that you're going to meditate. He did it for me as if, as if you're the only person in the world. How important your soul is, right? Yeah. Okay, before giving you a, a passion contemplation, I'd like to make um, some suggestions on how you can some supplementary activities that you can uh, carry out, uh, and they say uh, supplement and not to supplant, okay? So supplement, you know, that means in addition to, if you know your English well, okay? Not to supplant, to replace with. So uh, you might do this, read the... Uh, Read the biblical narratives of the Passion. Do you know that where they are? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, Matthew 26, 27. Mark 14, 15. Luke 22, 23. John. Uh, John, it would be 18, 19. So I've, I've mentioned to you the eight chapters of the Passion of Christ and right now, I'm sure um, all of you have that memorized, okay? All right, Jessica? Okay. What? Luke again. 22, 23. 
uh, we all have our ways of learning. I, I, I learn by mnemonic devices. So what I do is I, I learn the number of the chapters. And then the last chapter is the resurrection. And the two chapters before that is the passion. I'll try to learn. I have a mental schema by which I learn things. But you have to know how many chapters there are in the, in the four Gospels. Matthew, there are 28. Mark, there are 16. Luke, there's 24. And John, there's 21, right? If you say so, Father. Okay, good. <laughs> I trust you. Mark is the shortest. Yes, 16. Same number as Romans. 16 in Romans, too. Okay, second would be, uh, you might make the way of the cross sometime this week. The church has the way of the cross. The stained glass windows are very good. They're very well done. But you can't see them at night. depends upon the sun. The sun beaming through it, you can see it. But I, they're really well done. Next is pray the sorrowful mysteries. Hopefully every day. Next, a little bit of penance. Okay? Maybe don't put pick, pickles on your hot dog tomorrow. Something like that. <laughs> that's, gonna, that's a tough one, right? <laughs> Not a chili Philly dog? <laughs> okay. Okay, also... Um, Another suggestion would be to if you have a if you have a big graphic crucifix or cross uh, in your home, spend some time just contemplating that. Is that a good idea? Yeah. yeah even if you if you're doing your meditation at home in front of a nice graphic uh, crucifix. You know the difference between the Protestants and the Catholics that they've got it without the corpus, as we've got it. It's We're, a plain cross. Yeah, as we as Catholics, we've got the body on it. Yeah. Right. So uh, I don't think most of you are not Protestants. No? I hope not. <laughs> I hope we're having you change religion during this course, no? Hmm? <laughs> Otherwise, that will that will that will launch me into a profound pit of desolation, no? <laughs> 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 Uncontrollable laughter now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I like wit. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, then, if Ignatius were living, I honestly believe that he would really strongly emphasize what I'm going to mention now to see some good movies related to the Passion. And I'll mention three. Most of you have heard of Father Patrick Payton, who said the family that prays together stays together. And a world at prayer is a world at peace. <coughs> he came to Hollywood probably about 65 years ago, and he was able to work with the Hollywood um, big guns to make 
the movie on the 15 mysteries of the rosary. Did you know that, Marina? Yes, yeah, so the 15 mysteries of the rosary were made by Patrick Payton. You might even can look into that. They're really well done. EWTN is sometimes will present one in about 20, 25 minutes, but they're well done. And you know they never show the face of Christ. Yeah. Very Ignatian, huh? Yeah. So you have to kind of imagine the way Christ must have looked. Father Patrick Payton. Family Theaters would be the, the producers. Family Theaters. Uh, it's really well done. You, you watch that. Each mystery is about 20, maybe 25 minutes. So if you watch the, the whole of the Sorrowful Mysteries, you'll probably see it all in maybe two hours, two and a half hours, two hours and 20 minutes. Huh? Another good one, I think you're going to like this, is Marcelina Panavino. Have you seen it? The Miracle of Marcellinus. You like it? Pretty good, isn't it? Have you seen it? Yes, it's very well done. And it's a story of this orphan boy that's left at the, the doorstep of these Franciscan um, monks and they decide to adopt the child. Mm -hmm. And when the kid is able to walk, he starts to wander around and he climbs up to one of the upper rooms and he looks on the wall and he sees a, he sees a crucifix on the, on the wall with Jesus on the crucifix. And he starts to talk to Jesus. And Jesus responds. And what happens is every time he visits, the relationship is going deeper and deeper. Hopefully that's what's happening to all of you as the weeks transpire in the exercise program. I hope. And your relationship with Christ is going deeper and deeper. So they get to know each other and then he comes another time and he notices that um, he's bony. His, his rib cage is shutting out. So he's kind of skinny. He's probably hungry. You know? So he goes into the kitchen and he brings in bread. If you ever eat dry bread, you're probably going to be thirsty. He runs into the kitchen and brings in wine. Marcelina Pan y Vino. He notices that uh, it must be pretty cold. So he goes in this room and they're having a conversation. He brings his blanket. Who sleeps without his blanket that night. He notices that there's a crown of thorns on his head. It must be pretty painful. What do you think? So he gets a ladder, climbs up the ladder, and takes the crown of thorns off the head of Jesus. Probably cutting his little hand. So the friendship is going deeper and deeper. But there's something heavy in his heart. And it's this. In one deep conversation with Jesus, he says, Lord, uh, do you have a mother? Of course, because this boy is a orphan boy. He's never experienced the presence love of a mother. And they start to talk about that. 
And the boy says, well, what is she like? Well, she's very kind, very loving, very patient, very tender. I say, well, can I see her? You really want to see her? Yes. So there's uh, lightning and thunder, and the boy falls back and he dies. Only be taken up to heaven in the loving grace of the Blessed Mother. And the movie ends. Over the years, I've told my retreatants, namely you people, uh, if you understand what I just said, that's the, that's the heart of why we're here for 10 weeks. We have to become like Marcelina Pontevino. We should become like a little child who can't enter the kingdom. And enter into a deeper and deeper friendship with Christ. And Mary, too. Right, Mary? <laughs> and a deeper and deeper relationship with Jesus and Mary. Okay. Then, of course, another film that I have to suggest uh, is if you could watch the movie of The Passion of Christ of Mel Gibson. Yes. Yes. What do you think? It's strong, right? It's strong. But it's very real. So it's, uh, it's a little bit less than two hours, not even a full two hours, but it, it's worth seeing. Did you know that there's a scene where you can get? Yeah. I heard, I heard about that. He was, uh, he was just grazed and he fainted, no? He was barely touched and he fainted. I heard about that, yeah. Yeah, and our Lord was hit so many times. What I would suggest also is see it not as a Hollywood rendition, but see it as a prayer, as a contemplative prayer. What do you think? Yes. As a contemplative prayer. And um, I noticed that you uh, you have the habit of taking uh, profu copious notes. I feel honored. No. But when you're watching the movie, maybe get your notebook out and write down what are the scenes that seem to captivate you most. So when you go into your meditation, you have those, those images and those can help you to enter into contemplation with Christ. This is very Ignatian because Ignatius, Ignatius mentions the importance of what is called composition of place. Imagine that you're present there. And with that movie, you've got so many different scenes. You might even ask yourself, what, is this, what are the, the five scenes that seem to captivate you most? I'll tell you five, I, I, I'll tell you off the bat, five scenes that really seem to touch me. When Jesus is in the garden, the way the devil presents himself, I think, is very Ignatian because he comes as a man, and then a woman, and then a big serpent, and then the little, little uh, snake that comes out of the nose. It's just uh, well done. And what the devil does, the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. And with that, he talks to Jesus. Uh, you know, he talks to Jesus, and Jesus 
ignores him. We should try to do that too, shouldn't we? Sometimes we listen, don't we? And then he tells Jesus, the price of the passion, it's too hard, you can't do it. Trying to get Jesus to give in to despair. Ever happened to you? Yeah, right? Sometimes we give in to discouragement, right? The devil wants you can't do it. You've already failed, you can't do it. So some of those themes, they're almost universal. We experience the same thing. Then Jesus gets up and he... I was in the, the movie that people jumped three feet. <laughs> Remember that scene? Mm-hmm. When he steps on the head of the serpent and crushes it, which is the proto-evangel in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. She will crush your head with her heel. I like that scene. Another scene I really liked is when um, Judas comes with a band and Peter pulls out the sword and he cuts the ear off of Malchus. Then he reattaches it. Think about the love of Christ. I mean, here they are to, to torture him, to kill him, and this guy loses the ear and the Lord is compassionate enough to reattach his ear. What was most difficult uh, was the scourging. And if you notice, it went on for about eight minutes. Did you notice that? But what touched me most was how the soldiers seemed to be enjoying seeing our Lord suffer. Talk about satanic, no? They, They were relishing to see this man suffer. And who is watching is the Blessed Mother and Mary Magdalene. And Claudia gave them the towels that they could actually wipe up the blood, wipe up the blood. Another scene that really touched me is when our Lord is carrying the cross and he falls down and there's a flashback when he's a little child falling down and Mary, remember that? Mary running to pick him up. That's you. And then when he falls, he looks at Mary and it's almost as if energy goes out of the eyes and the heart of Mary, giving our Lord the grace to get up again. So there are many powerful scenes. So what we'll do in our, um, I'll give you a meditation, contemplation, the passion of Christ. Um, I'd like to give you, I'd like to go, we've, we've, been do, we've been walking in that direction. I'd like to walk with you to the top of Calvary and um, there's so much to do, but I think what I'll do is I'll give you the the characters of the passion. Fulton Sheen is written and preached a lot. You got the characters of the passion, and then you also have the seven last words. So 
So let's go through the characters of the passion and see if we can maybe identify ourselves with them. Let me give you uh, various individuals. Okay, first of all, let's take the apostles. They ran away from the cross. Did you ever walk or run away from the cross in your life? It's hard to. It's hard to carry the cross, right? But the apostles basically they ran away from the cross. I'm trying to do a, trying to connect the character of the passion with ourselves. Sometimes we just want to run away from the cross. So maybe we shouldn't be so hard on the apostles. We, we probably we might probably would have done the same thing. What was going on in their mind? They were possibly thinking if we're with him, they're going to arrest us and the same thing's going to happen to us that happened to him. Man, huh. We might do the same thing, huh? but it wasn't—it wasn't good, though. It was cowardice and lack of love. So let's take others, other characters in the passion. Let's take Veronica. Remember Veronica? You got this woman that's here, our Lord, suffering so much, and she's on the way of Calvary, and she notices that, uh, what do you think he had in his face? Blood, sweat, tears, dirt, spittle, uh, fresh blood, hardened blood, clotted blood. I mean, it's almost caked on his face. probably couldn't see that much. So she comes out of the crowd and places that cloth on our Lord's face and he leaves the imprint. What do you think Veronica represents? Okay, and you can, what? You pray over that. Then he's walking, and he's really exhausted. So you need another character in the Passion. And the guy's name is Simon, um, from Cyrene. So the Roman soldiers, cognizant of the fact that our Lord is very tired, that he may not make it to the top of Calvary, they have to constrain some other individual to help him out. And this guy is coming in from the fields. His name is Simon of Cyrene. And they force him to carry the cross. He didn't want to carry the cross at first. 
But once they forced him to carry the cross, almost as if he enjoyed carrying the cross. Ever happened to you? <laughs> Is that we resist, but once we say yes, the cross becomes lighter because we're carrying the cross with Christ. Try to carry the cross by ourselves, it's too heavy. Carry it with Christ, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from it because I am meek and humble of heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah. So if we carry it with Christ, he makes it easier, right? Then he arrives uh, at the top of Calvary, almost at the top, and there are these uh, women from Jerusalem that are weeping over him. On one occasion, I was talking to my English professor, who was my spiritual director, and he said how eloquent our Lord was when he responded. He said, do not weep for me, but weep for yourself and your children. If they do this in the case of the green, what will they do in the case of the dry? Pretty interesting, huh? So Jesus, even in his suffering, is still consoling. He's never thinking about himself, but he's always thinking about others. And he makes it to the top and they throw him down on the ground. They force him to extend his hand and there's two executioners. One is extending the hand. The other with the hammer and nail is pounding the nail. What do you think these executioners represent? Could it be the sins of humanity? Maybe even our sins, right? He died because of our sins, too. Then he's lifted on high, and they have to place the cross in the ground. There's a hole there. They place the cross in the ground in the hole. There he hangs on the cross. But let's get close to the cross and see all the different characters and how we might be able to identify ourselves with some of these characters. You know, the, the, this group I'm going to mention, I think is very applicable today about what's going on in the church. It would be the... Um, the spectators. There are a lot of spectators just watching it. These curious people. What's going on there? This is a spectacle. In other words, they're not really involved in the life of Christ, but on the, they're on the margins. They're on the periphery. They're tangential, <laughs> but not essential, huh? You, you could spend a lot of time meditating upon that. Do you think 
all the Catholics today are like John Bosco and Mother Therese and St. Francis of Assisi and St. Thomas Aquinas. They're all like that. Do you think most Catholics today are kind of like those the, the bystanders? What do you think? I would really, I, there's, there's a lot to meditate upon. If, if only 25% of the people go to Mass on Sunday, the others, they call themselves Catholic, right? They're the bystanders. And what do a lot of these bystanders even do today? What were these people doing back there, wagging their tongue? <laughs> She's Mosul. I mean, even, even within the church, when they, whenever they open their mouth, it's only to criticize, right? you agree with that? It's to criticize, to look at the negative, to point out the faults, to point out the limitations, to start to slander, to calumny, to badmouth. I think there's a lot of Catholics today that are like that. And Jesus said, love one another as I've loved you. It seems as if it's the exact opposite of that. You know, the most powerful witness that brought people to the Catholic Church 2,000 years ago was, look how much they love each other. Like a magnet. Today's the other way around. <laughs> I think there's a lot, a, a lot to be done. A lot to be done. Bystanders, no? And maybe God is telling us, uh, okay, look, the church has gone through a tough time. True, you know, the church is made of sinners, right? But, um, you know what Teresa of Avila would do? When she saw some nun or someone do something wrong, she would purposely try to practice the opposite virtue. I like that. That's Teresa of Avalon. It's much easier to look and to criticize and condemn than to, see, to practice the opposite virtue. That's why that's Saint Teresa of Avalon. Right? In other words, uh, we're all called to become saints. Sinners on the way to becoming saints. Amen? Amen. Let's get closer. Get closer, we notice that there's those Sadducees that are underneath the cross, they really, they really hate, hate Christ. To the very end, they're, they're uh, yelling at him, they're criticizing him, they're condemning him. And some of the most condemned, uh, critical people in the world are people that used to be Catholics. And they've given up the church. Even some ex-priests, you know. Uh, and I'll tell you, I, I believe the reason behind that is because in the depths of the heart they really know that they've given up the truth found in Catholicism. Right, Kristen? Yes. 
Would you agree with that? They say they really know that they've given up the truth and they can't live with their conscience, so they've got to point the finger, criticize, and condemn. So maybe in the depths of the heart, these, these Sadducees, filled with jealousy and envy because you have the young carpenter that's attracting huge crowds, he's much more eloquent than they are, and he's half their age, their envious envy and their pride is blinding them to seeing that Christ is truly the Savior. Okay, let's uh, draw a little bit closer to the cross now. Getting closer, aren't we? Draw closer. Got the soldiers underneath the cross. What are they doing? They are throwing dice. They're playing. They're throwing dice to see who can get his garments. Does that say anything to you? There's a lot in it. They're present to the. They're they're present to the Savior. I see this as uh, another one of the most prevalent maladies of the, of the modern church, and it's apathy. Indifference. The book of Revelation hammers away at this says, look, you've lost your first love. Return to your first love, otherwise I'll take away your candelabra. Scary, huh? Revelation chapter 3. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were. But because you are lukewarm... I will spit you out of my mouth, right? Vomit. Yeah, uh, the most common con uh, uh, translation would be to spit out, as Marina said, or vomit. Mm -hmm. Vomit you out, right? Strong language, huh? Challenge is this. We do the exercises, and there's a certain amount of fervor. Where are you going to be in three weeks? Go back to being normal people. Right? I mean, normal people. In other words, just go back to being a lazy person. Okay? Maintaining the fervor, not that easy. We'll talk about that next week. And we can keep the flame alive. But you know, I really, feel, I really feel that that's probably one of the biggest problems in the church. There's lacking fire. Amen. No fire. So I think the the exercise, the Marian consecration, what I'm offering here, I think is a remedy. 
Right, Mary? Yes. I think if you take this seriously, what we're giving is, I mean, they're tough programs, they're demanding, but if you take it seriously, this is where, honestly, I really believe you can get fire. Jesus said, I've come to cast fire on the earth, I'm not at peace until that fire being kindled. Yeah, that's good, yes. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Let's get a little bit closer now. Fulton Sheen and his uh, eloquent, typical eloquence, uh, tells us to get even closer to the cross. And look, you know, Jesus had as many as thousands of followers. Maybe as many as 20 to 25,000, 30 followers when he was the multiplication of the lows, you know, and many, many people following him. But he ends his life with only three followers. Now, that's encouraging me because when things seem to fall apart, I always think about that. It gives me encouragement. Sometimes, you know, things don't turn out the way you want them to. You want more success and maybe more numbers or more people to be more persevering and you don't always see it. He got the, the greatest teacher in the world, the greatest lover in the world. He ends up with three people. So I think when you're discouraged, maybe think about that. I mean, you're, you're, you're not alone. I wrote, after all he did, everyone ran away and he said, three, three of his faithful followers there at the, at the cross. Now Fulton Sheen, in the character of the Passion, he, um, he speaks, each one of them represents a, a caricature or a specific virtue. And those three people are, you know, uh, a, a woman that had serious problems with men, Mary Magdalene. You've heard of her, I'm sure you have. And then you had his best friend. Best friend was St. John the Evangelist, his best friend. And of course, the Blessed Mother. So those three were the faithful, the faithful ones, faithful till the end. And um, what they represent are three different lifestyles. Mary Magdalene. Sheen states that she represents penance. Penance. Why? Because she lived, she lived a kind of wild life, sinful lifestyle. But she turns out to become a great saint. Yeah. You see the film of the Passion of Christ, she's right with the Blessed Mother every step along the way, isn't she? 
Who is the one that runs to the tomb the day of the resurrection? Oh. Mary Magdalene. Yeah. So there's a lot of hope in that, isn't there? So Mary Magdalene represents uh, sinners who become saints. We're all sinners, but we can all become great saints. Amen? Amen. Now, uh, Fulton Chain says this about St. John. He says he represents... He represents... The priesthood. The priesthood. St. John was one of the first priests and the first bishops, too. Have you any ever heard of the approved apparition of Nock? Ireland. Are you aware of that? Oh, so the Omaha home right across from it. Okay. It's, uh, I, when I give this talk, I'll often make a parallel between St. John as priest and Knock, because the Blessed Mother appeared in Knock, uh, Ireland just once. This is an approved apparition. Not as well known as Guadalupe, Fatima, Lourdes, but it's an approved apparition. And she appears, you know, above the church, but also she appears with St. John the Evangelist dressed in priestly garments as a bishop. So St. John underneath the cross is a priest because he's underneath the cross. What is the Mass? It's the sacrifice of Calvary. Right, Mary? Yeah. Yes. It's the sacrifice of Calvary. So there he is. He's, he's offering Jesus to God the Father for the salvation of the world. And one of the seven last words, Jesus looks at John, then looks at his mother and he says, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. And from that moment, the beloved disciple took her into his home. Mary became the spiritual mother of the whole world in that moment. Amen? Amen. We see Mary as co-redemptrix. Jesus is the only redeemer, but Mary collaborated in the redemption of the world. The co-redemptrix. The co-redemptrix. So you see, uh, praying once again for priests and for bishops. And they'll be able to imitate St. John the Evangelist. According to tradition, there was an older bishop many, many years ago. Went from one town to the next. 
And he preached one homily. He said, love one another as I love you, the words of Jesus. He just went from one town to the next and preached. The, that was the only homily he gave. He was about 100 years old. This was about 2,000 years ago. When he came, this young man draws close to the, the bishop and he says, you know, I've been following you. It's the only thing you ever preached. Don't you have anything else to preach? And he said, if we can put into practice that commandment, love one another as I've loved you, we will have put into practice all of the Bible. It's all summarized in love one another as I love you. And that old bishop was St. John the Evangelist. Great story, huh? St. John the Evangelist. Rested in the heart of Christ, the sacred heart of Christ. So then the last one, of course, we already mentioned in passing, we got Magdalene, we got John the Evangelist, and we have the Blessed Mother. And Fulton Sheen says that Mary represents innocence. So penitence, priesthood, and innocence. Innocence. He was innocent, right? Mm -hmm. when people come and say, you know, why do I have to suffer this? Why did my son have to suffer this? And I'll say, why did the Blessed Mother have to suffer so much? She was the innocent woman. She never committed any sin at all, did she? Hmm? Never. Not even the slightest sin. Right? Sometimes I think we forget how much Mary suffered. Mary lost her husband, St. Joseph, right? Think she suffered? Yes. Did they have a good marriage? Yes. yes. Better than yours? Yes. <laughs> and none of us can compare to that marriage. That was the best marriage, right? Uh, I, I, I don't think very, very few people have ever meditated upon the sorrow of Mary in losing her husband. St. Joseph, he was the best, right? But even more painful is she lost her only son. She stood underneath the cross for three long hours watching her son shed his precious blood. That precious blood that he was shedding was given to him by Mary. Because Mary gave, Mary gave to Jesus his human nature. And in his human nature was his body and his blood. I think that'd be tough. Standing underneath the cross and watching your son suffer and die.
There, there are physical causes for his suffering and moral also. Physical causes of his suffering would be uh, three. Three basic ones, I believe. One would be his uh, exhaustion. He was literally exhausted, scourging, crowning with thorns, carrying the cross, exhausted. Second would be also the loss of blood. And you lose a lot of blood, you're going to die. But the, the final one, I once was talking to a doctor about this. So one of the most painful ways to die is to die of asphyxiation. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. Die of suffocation. So when Jesus was on the cross, to be able to breathe, he had to push himself up. And then push himself up to be able to inhale, then down. And the nails in his feet. Hold. They hurt. Of course, yes. Cause more bleeding. Yes, blood trickling down. You could tell that he was Father Tim Gallagher once said this. He gave a retreat, and one lady said she meditated, contemplated, hearing the blood of Christ from the cross dripping to the ground. You ever hit like in the faucet, it's kind of trickling? Mm -hmm. Well, I think Kristen. Pretty good? And, uh, seeing, but hearing, we all know faucets that don't work right, they drip, right? But the blood of Christ, drip, drip, drip. Every drop of his precious blood was for the salvation of your soul. So, exhaustion, blood loss, and suffocation. What would be the moral causes? The spiritual causes. Basically two. He died to show us the gravity of sin. But also he, showed, he died to show us the gravity of sin, but also the immensity of his love. Love for all of humanity. But love for all of us individually. So if you were the only person in the whole universe, you're the only person in the whole universe, Jesus would have died for you. That's how important you are. And your soul is worth the blood of Christ that he shed for you on Calvary. There's another person, a character in the Passion that would never occur to you, but I'd like to mention this. Is, um, I think it's worthy of your meditation if you like. Do you remember in the film of the Passion of Christ when Jesus says, 
Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. Then there's an earthquake. Then the temple basically collapses. But maybe you don't remember this. And there's really good commentaries written on this by Father Bartunek, who's written some pretty good commentaries. I was with Father Bartunek a few years ago making a retreat in New York. And uh, do you remember at the end is that a huge drop falls from the sky. And it falls into the ground. And According to commentaries, they say that that was the tear of God the Father. The tear of God the Father. Fulton Sheen, in one of his talks, he offers an emotional appeal. God the Father, do something. Do something. Do something. The silence of God the Father is heartrending. Wouldn't you think that God the Father would do something to save the Son? Silence. Why? Because God the Father loved His Son, and in His Son, God the Father loved all of us. God the Father purposely saw His Son being mutilated to the very last moment as a manifestation of His love with His Son for the salvation of the whole world. You might even meditate upon that. I mean, God the Father could have intervened and saved our Lord just like that. He could have. I mean, God is God, right? But the silence and almost seems the passivity of God the Father is almost heartrending. But it's all done out of love for you and for me. So remember, as we said earlier, we've already said a couple of times, if you are the only person in the whole world, you're the only person in the whole world, Jesus would have come. He would have been born for us. He would have lived with us. He would have worked for us. He would have suffered for us. He would have sweat blood for us. He would have been crucified for you, shedding every drop of his precious blood for you. How great is God's love for you and for me? So this week, my friends, should be the best week. I beg for the grace to be really generous to meditate upon the very essence of God's love, love for us, shedding his precious blood for us on Calvary. Tell Jesus how much you love him by your words, but also by the way you live. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed the fruit of thy Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us Glory be to the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God bless you.
This is international Catholic singer Anna Nuzzo inviting you to join me and Father Dan Cambra of the Marian Fathers on a select international tours Divine Mercy pilgrimage to Poland and the Czech Republic. It takes place in September of 2019 and we would love for you to join us. For more information go to my website AnnaNuzzo.com. Thank you and God bless. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com Featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith Not just a profile picture For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com And the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website Is ready to help single Catholics take the next step In sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics Remember, CatholicSingles.com For faith, fellowship, and love.